Welcome to this week's episode of the Big Book Living Alive podcast, a weekly podcast showcasing the 1993 Big Book Seminar presented by Joe and Charlie in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. I am your host, Brad S., and I am an alcoholic. So I'm in the rooms one night, and you hear someone say, the steps are in order for a reason. And I was like, okay, they go 1 through 12. But that's not what they meant. What they meant was the way you do the steps was laid out in a very particular order. You spend the first three steps clearing the decks, realizing what you are, what you are not able to do, and that you need help. Okay, so we've done that. Now you're going to turn the corner. And again, remember, this is a program of action. You must do something. You do not get to sit back and say, hey, I'm done. I got to three. Now what do we do? Well, now it's time to take a look inside. Let's see who we are, how we tick, and what we could do to be better. But before we can do that, Joe and Charlie are going to show us a little bit about ourselves and what we need to be looking at as we head into step four. Let's hear what they have to say. We're getting ready now to, to start into step four. Just before we start into it, we'd like to talk for just a few minutes about some information that comes out of the 12 and 12. You know, 13 years after Bill wrote the big book, they prevailed upon him to write the 12 and 12. And I've heard all different kind of reasons as to why he wrote it, probably several reasons. One reason he was willing to write it, I think, is the conference had approved the traditions in 1950, and I'm sure he wanted a vehicle to carry the traditions that had a lot of difficulty in getting traditions approved. And I think he decided if he would put something together in connection with the 12 steps, <clears throat> that it would be much more acceptable to AA people. So he wrote the 12 and 12 and talked about not only the traditions, but also the steps. But I think another reason he probably decided to write it is that in 1952, Bill knew a lot more about spirituality and a lot more about human nature than he did when he wrote the big book in 1937, 38, 39. Remember, he'd only gotten sober himself in the fall or December of 1934. And when he was writing the big book, he'd only been sober three or four years. And Bill was not trained in spirituality, nor was he trained in human nature. He did an awful good job with the big book. But I think by 1952, he recognized that maybe we could put out some additional information which would help people understand and be able to work the steps better. And in the 12 and 12, he talks about a series of essays that are designed to give us more information about the steps. The 12 and 12, I do not believe, was written to take the place of the big book, simply because the 12 and 12 does not have any directions in it on how to work the steps. The only piece of literature that we have that has directions on working steps happens to be the big book. 
But the 12 and 12 does give us additional information, and I think in a place or two, probably some information that is really absolutely brilliant information. In step four in the 12 and 12, in the beginning of that step on about two pages, Bill taught me more about what makes me tick than anything I'd ever read before in my entire lifetime. He talked about the three basic instincts of life. And he talked about the fact that all human beings were born with three basic instincts of life, that they were God-given, they were absolutely necessary for survival of the human race, therefore they must be good things. And he divided those three basic instincts into what he refers to as the social instinct, the security instinct, and the sex instinct. And the first thing he talks about is the social instinct. And he said under that social instinct, all human beings are born with a desire to be liked, to be accepted, to be respected by other people. All human beings are born with a desire to come together in groups with other human beings. And he said if we didn't have that instinct, we would not join together and do the things necessary for our survival. And he said if we didn't care for the company of other human beings, we would all go into a complete dog-eat-dog -dog situation, anarchy would reign, and sooner or later under those conditions the human race would fail to survive. So this idea of wanting to be liked and accepted by other people is not a bad thing at all. It is a basic God-given instinct. Under that he uses several different words. He uses a word or words called self-esteem. Self-esteem is basically what we think of ourselves based upon what we think other people think of us. If they seem to like us and accept us and respect us, then we feel pretty good about ourselves. If we think they don't, then we feel pretty lousy toward ourselves. He talked about personal relationships. That's nothing more than our relationships between ourselves and other people, good or bad, one way or the other. He talked about prestige. All human beings want to be one of two things. Some of us take the idea that please just let us be a part of. But also, some of us want to be the leader of the group. And the world needs leaders. Somebody's got to be a decision maker. I, back, I guess back in the old caveman days, somebody said, John, get behind that tree over there with your spear. Mary, you get behind that bush with your club. And Billy Jack and I will run this sucker through here and we'll all jump him. We'll have, somebody has to do that. And most people either wants to be just a part of or let me be the leader of. Prestige deals with letting us be the leader of the group. And as he talked about these things, he also talked about pride. Now, I always thought pride was something that you needed to have. And as a kid growing up, all I ever wanted to be was a man who walked tall with pride and a little bit sideways like John Wayne does until I look pride up in the dictionary and I find that pride really is defined as an excessive and unjustified opinion of oneself. We either think too well of ourselves or not well enough. In either case, it's not true. He also talked about our ambitions, our plans for the future, 
to be accepted, to be respected, to be the leader of, and etc. And we all have plans for the future. These terms all fall under the social instinct. Now, if you want to be liked and you want to be accepted and respected by the rest of the people, I guess maybe the first thing you've got to figure out is, well, what is it they want from me? And I believe society teaches us these things as we grow up. You know, in one part of the world, maybe you need a good education to be recognized. Another part of the world, maybe it's to be a large landowner. Another part of the world is to have a large family. It could be any number of things, and it will be determined basically by where we grow up in the world. And as we grow up, we begin to set goals for ourselves based upon what we think other people want us to be. Now, if you're going to reach the goal that you set for yourself so you can be liked and accepted and respected, you're going to have to work at it. You can't just sit on your duff and be a, dumb and a bum and have people like you. By the same token, not only do you have to work to reach the goal you set for yourself, you're going to probably have to make some sacrifices. You know, there are some things I would really like to do as a human being, and if I do them and you catch me at it, you're not going to like me at all. And I don't think I would do the work necessary to reach the goal, whatever it might be, nor make the sacrifices necessary to have you like me if I didn't get some kind of reward for doing that. Bill gave us the reward in his story when he said, I had arrived. And how many of us have set that goal, whatever it might be, and worked and worked and strived and strived and sacrificed, and finally we reach the goal and they pat us on the back and they say, ah, Joe, you're a fine fellow, you're really doing great. And we do get a feeling from that which really is indescribably wonderful. The only thing wrong with it, though, it seems to be just a temporary feeling. Hell, you no sooner experience and you look around and you say, well, is this all there is to it? And you set another goal. And you work and you work and you strive and you strive and you sacrifice and you reach the new goal and you get all the praise and all the prestige, but it doesn't last long and you set another goal. And it seems to create within we human beings an insatiable desire for more power, more prestige, more praise, and etc. And we're not getting it quite fast enough and are not giving it to us the way we think they ought to, so most of us start taking a few shortcuts. We begin to do a little lying a little conning, a little manipulating, a little stepping on other people's backs, and the instant we do, we create pain and trouble for other people. And we create pain and problems for them, then they in turn retaliate against us and create pain and suffering for us. It's plain that a life run on self-will can hardly ever be a success, because under those conditions, we're always going to do those things that throw us in conflict with other people, and the end result is that it creates pain and suffering for ourselves. Bill talks about the security instinct. Now, I know in AA we try to live one day at a time, but I also know just about everybody in this room has an insurance policy. And the purpose of the insurance policy is to try to protect ourselves in the future. This is a basic God-given thing. If we were not concerned about the future, we would not do those things necessary to be secure in the future. And we wouldn't provide the food, the clothing, the shelter, and the things that we have to have. And the next drought season, we would all starve to death. The next winter season, we would freeze to death. So the need to be worried about and thinking about those things in the future is actually a basic God-given thing. Also, just like with, with a social instinct, 
probably society teaches us what we need in order to be secure in the future. And it'll vary in different parts of the world. One part of the world, you might need $4. Another part of the world, you need 4000 Another part of the world, $4 million. Another part of the world, 172 coconuts, whatever it is that they use to measure their security by. And based on what society teaches us, we set goals for ourselves. And if you're going to be secure in the future, you're going to have to work at it. You can't just sit on your duff and be secure in the future. And at the same time, you're going to have to make sacrifices. You can't blow everything you got today and be secure tomorrow. And I don't believe we would do the work necessary nor make the sacrifices necessary to be secure, again, if we didn't get a reward for doing so. And again, that reward is the great feeling that we get at the moment of successful completion of the goal. How many of us have set the goal for the new shoes, for the new dress, for the new suit, for the new couch, for the new car, for the new home? And we work and we work and we strive and we strive, and the day that sucker's paid off and it becomes ours and nobody can take it away from us, my God, what a great feeling that is. If it's the mortgage on the home, we might even call in the neighbors and we'll have a party and we'll celebrate by burning the mortgage. The only thing wrong with it is just temporary feeling. Hell, you no sooner get it paid for than you look around and her house is bigger than mine. And he's driving a Cadillac and I'm still in the Chevrolet. And he brought his suit at Brooks Brothers and I got mine at Kmart. And that causes us to set another goal. And we strive and we strive and we sacrifice and we work and we work and we reach the new goal and it feels great, doesn't last long and we set another goal. And they're not giving it to us like we think they ought to and we're not getting it fast enough and again we start to take a few shortcuts, we begin to lie, we begin to con, we begin to manipulate, we begin to cheat and the instant we do so we hurt other people. They in turn retaliate against us and create pain and suffering for us. It's plain that a life run on self-will can hardly ever be a success. Under those conditions, we're always in collision with people, places, and things. People, places, and things. Three basic instincts of life. Who we are, what we want, how we're going to get there. These are all important pieces of the puzzle. And how can we start any type of inventory if we don't at least take an honest look at who we are, who we have been, before we decide who we want to be? Using the 12 and 12 as a guide, Charlie's very good about talking about our three basic instincts of life, social, security, and sex. Now, in this week's episode, he only touches on the first two. We'll cover the third one in its own episode because we are starting to talk about the maturity of sex, not just the act. Social acceptance is incredibly powerful. We want to be accepted. We are social animals by nature. And we are fine until we let that, as we said last week, run riot. We want and desire and crave security. Just because we live for today when we decide that we are going to stop drinking. I didn't drink yesterday. I don't have to drink today. And I cannot worry about tomorrow. Does not mean that you cannot plan for your future. Because we're not just out there going, everybody's going to take care of us. You still need to take care of yourself. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. If you'd like just the raw Joe and Charlie portion of the podcast, that is available on our Patreon site. The link to that is available on our website or in the pinned comment. Until next week, this is the Big Book Living Alive Joe and Charlie podcast.